This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Good morning and welcome to CBS This Morning. It's Thursday, August 12, 2021. I'm Tony DeCopo with Vlad Dutier and Dana Jacobson. Gail and Anthony are off. The crushing reality of a resurging pandemic. For you at home, for us here, the headlines about unvaccinated Americans and the Delta variant have become so overwhelming that what we're going to do is take you on a short tour of the country. So here we go. The newest CDC data shows that the U.S. is averaging more than 113,000 infections per day. That is more than a 400% increase from just last month. And this map here shows just how quickly the Delta variant has spread during that time. It's putting a strain on hospitals in many communities nationwide. And that's particularly true in the American South. Let's go to Tennessee, for example. New COVID cases are up more than 1,600% there in the last month. And just under 40% of the population is protected with a full vaccination. In Mississippi, meanwhile, cases are so high that state health officials have asked the federal government about using the hospital ship Comfort. That floating hospital bed has a thousand, that floating hospital boat rather, has a thousand beds in it. And if it sounds familiar, it's because it was docked off of Manhattan in the early days of the pandemic. Let's go to Texas now, where new cases have hit a six month high. And Governor Greg Abbott says he is deploying more than 2,500 medical personnel to help hospitals all across that state. He's also asking other states for help while simultaneously rejecting calls to end his ban on mask mandates. More people are, hospital, are, are hospitalized with COVID in the state of Florida than ever before. And in that state, Governor Ron DeSantis has banned schools from acquiring masks. Some districts are defying that order. Meanwhile, there's new clarity from the CDC this morning, which says pregnant people should get vaccinated and as soon as possible. And some breaking news for you. A source tells CBS News the FDA is expected to authorize a booster shot today for immunocompromised people for whom two doses may not be enough. We are joined now by Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor. Dr. Fauci, good morning. Always good to see you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So as we just mentioned, the FDA is expected to authorize a booster shot today for immunocompromised people. Will everyone need a booster shot at some point, Dr. Fauci? You know, it is likely that that will happen at some time in the future because it is it is it, it would be extremely unusual. And we're already starting to see indications in some sectors about a diminution over time. That's durability. We don't feel at this particular point that apart from the immune compromise, we don't feel we need to give boosters right now. But importantly, we are following this in real time, literally on a weekly and monthly basis. We're following cohorts of individuals, elderly, younger individuals, people in nursing homes, to determine if, in fact, the level of protection is starting to attenuate. And when it does get 
to a certain level, we will be prepared to give boosters to those people. But from what you just said a moment ago, it is imminent that we will be giving it to immune compromised. All right, here's a question that I've heard from a lot of people, including members of my own family. If you are eligible for a booster shot, will you need to get the same brand of vaccine you originally received? It is preferable that you go with the same brand. If you get Moderna, get Moderna. If Pfizer, Pfizer, J&J. You will be hearing instructions about that from the FDA through the CDC and the advisory committee on immunization practices. So there will be guidance when that time occurs. All right, let's talk about uh, pregnant people. The CDC has some new guidance based on some new data that found that there's no increased risk for people who are pregnant to get the vaccine. What do you say to people who still may be hesitant about this? They may still be worried. Well, the data are really very, very strong, Glad. If you look at the tens and tens of thousands of pregnant women who have gotten vaccinated, there's no safety signal of concern at all. Balance that against the fact that we absolutely know that when pregnant women who are unvaccinated, when those individuals get infected with SARS-CoV-2 and get COVID-19, it is very detrimental not only to the woman herself, but to the fetus. So that's the reason why the recommendation has gone from could get vaccinated to should get vaccinated. Dr. Fauci, as a parent, the concern now, my child going back to school, and especially those under 12 who still can't get vaccinated. So I'm thinking two things. When are we going to see that approval for kids under 12? And what should we be doing with masks in school and those mandates? Well, in answer to your first question, we have been doing the studies now at the NIH, together with the pharmaceutical companies, looking at the safety and the immunogenicity or the ability of the vaccine to induce an appropriate response in the children. And we're doing that in what's called an age de-escalation way, doing 11 to 9, 9 to 6, 6 to 2, and then 6 months to 2 years. And we're getting good data on that right now. Ultimately, it will be a regulatory decision by the FDA, which will then go on to a recommendation from the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. I hope that's within a reasonable period of time this fall so that we can get those kids protected. But in the meantime, what you want to do, what we're recommending is that in the school system, you surround the children with people who are vaccinated, who are eligible to be vaccinated. And that's the reason why we want to see as many as possible of the teachers and the personnel in the school to be vaccinated. Children who are old enough and are eligible to get vaccinated should get vaccinated. And in the other situation, which you mentioned, the children who are not yet eligible, that's the reason why we want masking in the school for everyone vaccinated or not, because we don't want to keep the children out of school. We know the deleterious effects of keeping children away from physical presence in the school, mental, social development, and things like that. So we've got to balance things. And that's the reason why we feel strongly we should be masking people to protect the children. All right, Dr. Fauci, and what we all want is to change the trajectory of the virus, the trajectory we're on right now. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you very much. Moving on to other news this morning, New York's governor, next governor rather, Kathy Hochul, 
She's got two weeks before she starts. She's wasting no time setting herself apart from Governor Andrew Cuomo. He's resigning later this month, as we've been telling you this week, over multiple allegations of sexual harassment, though he denies any wrongdoing in those cases. Hochul, a former congresswoman from Buffalo, has been New York's lieutenant governor since 2015. Our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, has more now from Albany, where Hochul spoke to reporters for the first time since Cuomo's announcement. Jerika, good morning. I will fight like hell for you every single day, like I've always done and always will. Democrat Kathy Hochul will make history when she takes over as governor later this month, following Governor Andrew Cuomo's announcement that he will step down. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. Hochul was not mentioned in the state attorney general's report that detailed allegations of sexual harassment against Cuomo, and she stressed she has not been part of his inner circle. I think it's very clear that the governor and I have not been close. Um, physically or otherwise. Cuomo's top aide, Melissa DeRosa, who resigned Sunday night, was mentioned in the report as working to discredit at least one of Cuomo's accusers. But she's now staying in her job until Cuomo departs. No one has named, who is named as anything, doing anything unethical in the report will remain in my administration. Hochul also promised an overhaul in the office culture. I want it to be a place where people feel welcome that all they have to worry about is doing their job and fighting for the people of New York along my side and never have to worry about harassment. Though Cuomo will no longer be governor, state lawmakers will meet in Albany Monday to discuss the future of their impeachment investigation. We asked Hochul if she thinks lawmakers should move forward. It's not the responsibility of a lieutenant governor at this time or even a future governor to comment on what the assembly is doing or the Judiciary Committee, but I have full confidence as just as I had confidence in the attorney general in her report that they'll come to the right conclusions. Hochul said she never had plans to run for governor before, but now that she's in this situation, she said she definitely plans to run for a full term. Dana. Jerika, thank you. You've been doing a great job on this story. I know today is your birthday. Happy birthday. I hope you get a thank little you. bit of break from some of the news I did not there. Know that. Happy yes, birthday. it is her birthday. Wanted to point it out. Jerika. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy thank the you day. So much. In other news, the NCAA has ruled a college football program that failed to act on multiple reports of sexual assault did not violate any of its rules. This stems from a 2016 report which found that Baylor University failed to take appropriate action to respond to multiple reports of sexual assault reportedly committed by football players. The school's head football coach, Art Bryles, was fired after that report. He has disputed that he did anything wrong. The school, however, has now acknowledged its, quote, significant and moral failings related to sexual and interpersonal violence. The NCAA, as punishment, is relatively minor. Baylor will get probation and pay a fine, but even that isn't about the sexual assault scandal. It's for other violations found, including improper recruiting practices. And I know this created an uproar yesterday because people were so surprised. It's a little tough to sort of narrow down, but one thing to remember is the rules that they have in place, these infractions, while it sounds like it would cover it, it doesn't. It says that it's a, a severe breach of conduct, one or more violations that undermines or threatens the integrity of the NCAA collegiate model, but that's related to fair play 
to mm. play on the field. Right. It doesn't have to do with this. So this, they say, is out of their purview in order to punish. So you go back in time and say Jerry Sandusky scandal right. at Penn State. That's they did. what I thought of. And Mark Emmert said at the time, we're never again going to put football ahead of the safety of people like this. They also backed off on those uh, infractions after some time because people criticized them for this. They are saying now they need to maybe look at the rule book and start rewriting it so it does cover issues like this. I would so say. they're not saying there's nothing wrong with this. They're just saying their rules are not set up to take this into account. Exactly. And part of it is that this was going on. They say it was the entire atmosphere on campus also was not addressing it. The university itself was not that the athletes weren't alone in this culture. Hmm. All right, we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, okay, two high school basketball coaches are facing murder charges following a teenage athlete's death during an outdoor practice. 16-year-old Amani Bell died in 2019 after collapsing outside her Atlanta area high school. Her cause of death was heat stroke. Last month, a grand jury indicted her coaches on multiple felonies, including second-degree murder and cruelty to children in the second degree. Mark Strassman spoke with Amani's father, who hopes the charges lead to justice and safety for other kids. Imani Bell was a high school junior with dreams of going to Stanford and a love of basketball. Imani was a, a fantastic kid. Daddy's girl, mama's girl? Definitely daddy's girl. Definitely daddy's girl. Because? Well, we just had a special bond. Eric Bell's 16-year-old daughter died two years ago tomorrow after she collapsed running the stairs of her high school's football stadium. Her coaches held the outdoor conditioning practice despite a heat index of 103 degrees. At the hospital, ER doctors could not save her. The doctors worked on her for about, about 45 minutes to an hour. Body just couldn't take anymore. He was like, keep working, keep working. He was like, we, we can't. It's, the body's not responding anymore. You actually watched your daughter die. Yes, I was in. I was in the room. I was actually in the room, and uh, you know that's just a memory that I'll never forget. It's uh, I replay it every day, and you know it's just kind of it's, it's tough. Bell's autopsy found no underlying medical issues. She died of hyperthermia, heat stroke. The day she collapsed, the actual temperatures reached 97 degrees. The state's athletic regulations ban outdoor workouts during any temperature above 92 degrees. And one hour before her practice, her school district sent a warning to all schools. No sports or clubs outside. Eric Bell is also a basketball coach. And you had a practice schedule that day? Yes. And you canceled it? Canceled it. Because? It was too hot outside. At the end of the day, only one thing counts, and that's to get that child back home to their parents. Prosecutors blame Bell's former coaches, La Rosa Maria Walker Asakiri and Dwight Palmer. They face second-degree murder charges. Every coach is now going to have to think about Imani Bell and the repercussions of putting winning over life. Imani Bell is climbing stadium stairs just like these in the heat. When she collapsed, Clayton County's uh, school district had no comment about this case because of pending litigation, and we couldn't track down the lawyers who represent the two charged coaches. But you can bet that coaches everywhere who will work out athletes in the summer heat today have heard about this case. Tony? Yeah, there are things more important than practice and winning. As you said, Mark, thank you very much.
Afghanistan's government is saying nothing this morning about the newest victory by Taliban fighters. They've captured a key city on a major north-south highway, and it's part of a crushing week-long advance that's happening while the U.S. prepares to withdraw the last of its troops by the end of this month. Roxana Saberi is in Kabul for us. That's Afghanistan's capital. Roxana, good morning to you. As we understand it, the Taliban are getting ever closer to where you are right now. That's right, Tony. A local official tells us the Taliban have taken the city of Ghazni today. That city is only about 90 miles southwest of us here in the capital, Kabul. Ghazni is the 10th provincial capital to fall to the Taliban in only a week. Most have been in the north, but a few have been in the south and west. The insurgents' rapid victories are cutting off cities under government control and overwhelming Afghan forces. Today, the U.S. Embassy said the Taliban could be committing war crimes. In the city of Farah, a video appears to show the Taliban dragging the dead body of an Afghan security force member through the city, shouting, God is great. And elsewhere, the Taliban are showing off Humvees and weapons they've seized from Afghan forces. The fighting has forced hundreds of thousands of people to flee in recent months. Many are coming to Kabul seeking safety. They've left behind their homes, their belongings, and even loved ones killed in the fighting. And now they say there's nowhere else to go. Here in Kabul, life appears to be carrying on more or less as usual. But for how long is unclear. This would be the biggest prize for the Taliban. And according to a U.S. military assessment, the city could fall, could come under attack in as little as 30 days. Dana. All right, Roxana Saberi in Afghanistan, thank you. Tropical storm Fred weakened to a tropical depression overnight, but is still expected to reach Florida this weekend. Fred passed over the Dominican Republic and Haiti yesterday, dumping heavy rain and knocking out power. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get your morning news in under 20 minutes and daily podcast original. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.